Welcome to the Invictus Church Podcast. We're grateful that you've chosen to listen, and we want to invite you to join us each week as we upload new content. Our prayer each week is that those who listen in would not just be stirred or inspired, but also changed. Now, get ready for life change with this week's message from Invictus Church. Well, welcome everybody to week number two of a series we're called, uh, calling Unwrapping God. And in this series, we are looking at... Uh, The different layers of God, if you will, and unpeeling God and looking in at who he is by exploring the names of God. And uh, in fact, in the Bible, there are many, many, many names attributed to God, over 900 of them. In this series, we're only going to be looking at four. And uh, today, we are going to be looking at a strange-sounding name of God. It is Jehovah Nisi. I know what you're thinking. Is that a Japanese car? Right? <laughs> Come on down. Right now, 0% financing on a 2018 Jehovah Nisi, right? Sounds like a car commercial. Well, uh, let's look at Exodus chapter 17, verse 15. It says that uh, Moses built an altar there and called it Jehovah Nisi, the Lord is my banner. Uh, we're going to be talking today about what in the world that particular name of God, God my banner, what does it have to do with anything? Now, remember from last week we talked about the name of God, uh, the proper name of God in the Old Testament uh, is Yahweh or sometimes pronounced Jehovah. It's the same thing, maybe uh, translation that you're reading today. If you were reading reading the New Living Translation just a minute ago, it would have said uh, Yahweh Nisi. It's the same thing, Jehovah, Yahweh, the same thing. But what does it mean that God is my banner? Well, let me illustrate it to you this way. Uh, I'm standing up here in front of you guys talking to you this morning, and I'm a little bit nervous. Uh, It's not because I get nervous talking to groups of people. I've never been nervous getting up in front of a group of people. A lot of people think that's kind of strange, but uh, that doesn't freak me out at all. In fact, I think this is funny. You know what the number one fear of Americans is? Public speaking. The number two fear of Americans is death. So they would rather be at a funeral, the guy in the coffin, than the guy behind the mic. That's just crazy to me. I don't get that at all. But uh, uh, anyway, I'm not nervous because I'm up here uh, speaking. I'm, I'm nervous because all of you are looking at me. So if you could just shut your eyes, that would make things a whole lot better. Uh, no, I, I, the reason I'm nervous because of your, the fact that you're looking at me is because I'm not entirely comfortable with the way that I look. Um, uh, I struggle with my weight, and I have for many, many years. I've gone through seasons where I've lost a bunch of weight, and I gained a bunch of weight back. Over the last four years, I've been on a medicine that has caused me to gain about 70 pounds. I really don't like how this appears, and uh, so that affects my self-esteem. All of us have struggles like that, things about ourselves that we don't like, and it is God, my banner, Jehovah Nisi, that is getting me through Uh, times like this when I'm up in front of people and I don't really want to be up in front of people. Um, uh, Life is hard. Losing weight is hard. Uh, Painful things, difficult things in our life uh, make things really challenging. And um, uh, in fact, my wife tells me, she's very supportive of me and loves me no matter how fat I get. Uh, What a wonderful woman. Uh, But she has summed it all up very wisely and said, you know, your problem really comes down to two things, Alan. Number one, you love food. Well, duh. Who doesn't love food? Uh, I mean, food is amazing. Thank you, Jesus, for creating food. Uh, I love food. And she says, your second problem, though, is that you hate exercise. 
And again, I'm like, well, no, duh. You know, every time I feel like exercising, I like to lay down until the feeling goes away. And um, uh, my problem, and probably your problem, is the same uh, as mine. And, and, and it's that when things get tough, when things get hard, we just many times want to give up. We want to lay down. We want to throw in the towel. We want to call it quits. You know, maybe for you. Uh, right now, your marriage is really difficult, and sometimes you just feel like laying down and giving up. Maybe for you, it's a, it's a job or a problem at work or a boss that you can't stand, or you've been battling an addiction for a long time, or you've got financial problems that are just overwhelming, or um, you're parenting your kids, and you're trying your absolute best to do the best you can, and nothing seems to be working right, and uh, it, you just feel like laying down, giving up. Throwing in the towel. Um, if, if you're like that at all, you're like me, uh, you're in good company. The Apostle Paul, who wrote uh, most of the New Testament, wrote these words in Romans chapter 7, verse 15. I don't understand myself at all, for I really want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do the very thing I hate. Anybody, can you relate to that? feel like beating yourself up sometimes? Well, today's message is going to be for you. Uh, we're going to be looking at the story of Moses, and uh, we looked at some of this last week. Uh, I want to summarize for you real quick the first 17 chapters of uh, the book of Exodus and the story of Moses. Um, the Israelites have become the slaves of the Egyptians. And uh, they were an oppressed people. Uh, the Egyptians had their heels on them, were making them uh, do all this slave work and this awful stuff. And God sent Moses to free the people of Israel. Now, um, God's strategy was interesting because it's not the kind of strategy that we would think of today. If you try to solve uh, international problems today and there's one country beating up another country or trying to subjugate another country and you want to free that subjugated people, what do you do? You send in the Air Force, laser-guided bombs, special forces. You send in all kinds of stuff, and uh, you, you try to make this really big mess of the enemy and conquer them, defeat them, and go in and liberate people, and woohoo! you have this fantastic heroic story to tell. Well, God's strategy for setting free a bunch of oppressed people was to send in Moses. He was just a dude with a stick. He didn't send in the special forces. He didn't call in Navy SEALs. He sent in Moses with a staff. His staff looked something like this. It was probably taller than this and had on the end of it what we would call a shepherd's crook because Moses had been a shepherd. But God's plan was send a dude with a stick in to see the most powerful man on the face of the earth, the Pharaoh of Egypt, the only superpower on the planet at the time. And Moses was supposed to go in there, and here was the plan. Walk up to Pharaoh and bravely say, God wants you to let his people go. That does not sound like a brilliant tactical plan, does it? I mean, it, it, the average human would not come up with a plan that poor. <laughs> but that was God's strategy. And the amazing thing is that Moses was willing to obey God. And so he walks in with his stick and he stands before the most powerful man in the world and he picked, lifts up his stick and whoa! You know, no, he doesn't do any of that. Moses, um, <laughs> Moses tells Pharaoh, let my people go, and uh, God is going to work through me and through this staff, through this stick, 
uh, to prove that he is God and you were going to obey and you were going to let the people of Israel go. And God worked six major miracles through Moses' stick. Six amazing miracles. And finally the Pharaoh decides to let the people go. And uh, they're leaving Egypt and they get to a place called the Red Sea, which we talked a little bit about last week. And, And when they get to the shore of the Red Sea... They're in kind of a bad spot because they can't keep going forward. Uh, God had freed the people of Israel and wanted them to go to a place called the land of Canaan, which was the promised land. And between them and Canaan was the Red Sea. The problem was that on either side of them when they were at the Red Sea was mountains. They were kind of down in a valley. And uh, they couldn't go to the right. They couldn't go to the left. They couldn't go forward. So they turned around. And about that time, they noticed that the Egyptians had changed their mind. Moses decided, I don't know how to cook. Or not Moses, the Pharaoh decided, I don't know how to cook breakfast. I need my slaves back. And so uh, he uh, uh, gathered up all of his chariots, and they came after the Israelites, and the Israelites were stuck. They didn't know what to do. And God said to Moses, I want you to hold your stick out over the water and watch what I do. And so Moses holds his stick out over the Red Sea. The water parts, and the Israelites escape. The Israelites had started looking at Moses and his stick with a sense of awe. In fact, a little bit later, they're traveling through the desert, and they're thirsty. They don't have any water. Uh, They had seen God work a miracle at uh, a place that they called Mara. We talked about that story last week where they got water that was uh, bitter, and God uh, healed the water, made it better, and um, uh, they were able to drink. But then again, they're traveling through the wilderness, and once again, they're thirsty. And the people start to grumble, and they're like, Moses, we don't have any water to drink. Did God just bring us out here to die? And God says to Moses, hey, take your stick and see that rock over there? I want you to go over, and I want you to hit that rock with your stick. And when you do, water's going to come out of it. And so Moses obeys. He goes over, and he touches the stick to the rock, and millions of gallons of water come gushing out of this stone, and everybody drinks. And the people, you can imagine, as Moses is walking through the camp with his stick, they're like, ooh, it's Moses and his stick. In fact, the Bible started calling his staff the staff of God. Now, to put that into context for today, it'd be like, it's Yoda and his lightsaber, right? (laughs) Strong with the Lord, Moses was, yes. And uh, just pretty cool stuff, this amazing, powerful tool used by God to do amazing and profound things. And uh, the people were in awe of this stick. Now, you might think of this stick as being similar to the people of Israel uh, to a national flag. Uh, This stick became a symbol to them. It was something like a banner. In combat, a, a banner is really important to a soldier. I guess it's significant for a couple of reasons. First of all, it it stands as a symbol. It symbolizes something that is huge, something bigger than the soldier himself, something bigger than life. It symbolizes a cause. It's that cause that then motivates him. And I guess the the second reason that a banner is important is it stands to inspire. Not only does it stand as a symbol, 
but it stands to inspire that soldier to really get outside of himself and do something that's not even normal or natural. It's natural behavior to want to preserve your own life, to hide when somebody's shooting at you or trying to kill you, or maybe even to run away. But when the soldier considers that inspiring symbol, the thing that that banner represents, it motivates the soldier to do something that's not natural, to go against his nature and to actually charge out and face this enemy that wants to take his life. You know, we all face battles in our own lives, battles every day that we're, we have to look to different banners that help us get through those battles and endure them. For some people, it's as simple as maybe their favorite sports team. You know, that symbol that it represents will inspire them to do something they would normally do, like paint their faces up or put on weird clothes and act silly. But then maybe it's more serious than that. Maybe your banner is your family. I, I know a lot of people will carry pictures of their family in their wallets so that it will remind them of why they're working such long hours or why they're spending or saving the way that they're doing it. And maybe your banner is a, a religious or a spiritual symbol like a, a Jesus fish on your bumper or a, a crucifix around your neck. You know, the best example that I can remember in recent years of a banner is, uh, man, right around 9-11. We all remember that day and experienced the horror as we watched the towers fall. We experienced the pain, death, the confusion. But then in the middle of all of that, we also watched as those firemen had put up that flag. And man, we were inspired. For the first time in my life, I really saw a united States of America as people were motivated to go out and sign up for military service. Some were motivated to maybe just put that banner up on their place of work or their house or their car. And still others were motivated to get out and actually vote. A banner, whatever it is, it's powerful. It's an inspiring symbol, but most of all, what makes it most important the banner that helps us stay in the fight. What is a banner? If you're taking notes, write it down. A banner stands as a symbol. A banner stands to inspire. And number three, a banner helps us stay in the fight. So what's your fight? What is it that is your greatest struggle today? I want you to take your notes there, and whether you normally take notes or not, go ahead and write it down today. Write down what is your big struggle? What is your big fight that you need a banner to inspire you to stay with, to stick with, to see through, to finish strong? In Exodus chapter 17, we see Moses and the banner really come full force here. Let's look at Moses chapter 17. We're going to start in verse 8. While the people of Israel were at Rephidim, the warriors of Amalek attacked them. Now, just pause right there for a second. The Bible doesn't tell us why the Amaleks attacked. Amalekites, I can't say it. Uh, Just all of a sudden, the Amalekites decided, yeah, it was time for a fight. 
And so look at verse 9. Moses commanded Joshua to some of the men to go out and fight the army of Amalek for us. Tomorrow I will stand at the top of the hill holding my staff, the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did what Moses had commanded and fought the army of Amalek. Meanwhile, Moses, Aaron, and Hur climbed up on top of a nearby hill. As long as Moses held up the staff with his hand, the Israelites had the advantage. But whenever he dropped his hands, the Amalekites gained the advantage. Now, keep in context here, all right? Remember for just a second the miracles that the Israelites have witnessed with Moses and this stick, this banner of theirs. They had seen God work miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle through this. And so Moses, he comes out and he says, hey, here's the strategy, guys. I want you to run down this hill and go fight, and I'm going to stand here and hold up the staff of God. I'm going to hold up the stick. Sounds like a brilliant strategy, doesn't it? Now, why would Moses come up with such a cockamamie idea for winning a battle? Because every time they had looked to this before, immediately God came through. In fact, every time prior to this day that God worked a miracle through the staff, it had been an instant miracle. I like to call those microwave miracles. You know the kind of miracle I'm talking about. If you're a student, you, you probably prayed this uh, once or twice before a test. Oh, God, please let me pass this test I didn't study for. Right? <laughs> you want that instant miracle. Uh, uh, or if you're like me, you, you have a lead foot when you're driving, it's, oh, God, please let that cop's radar not be on. Right? You've never prayed that, have you? And uh, please, Lord, help me lose weight. 90 pounds tonight would be awesome. Right? Uh, or, Lord, make me a patient person and do it now. We want God to show up and work these amazing microwave miracles. We put in a prayer, dear Lord Jesus, beep, 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 beep. Uh, let so-and-so happen. We hit the button start and ding, out pops a hot, fresh miracle. Every miracle that the Israelites had seen worked through this staff had been an instant miracle until this day. Moses probably thought, all right, guys. You're going to run down the hill with your swords and stuff screaming and acting like warriors. I'm going to hold up the stick, and all the bad guys are going to fall down dead. I'll bet that's what he was thinking. Now, the Bible doesn't say that's what he was thinking, but it says that he held it up. All right, Lord. Now it'll be good. A bunch of people are dying down there. Some of them are our guys. Whew, my arms are getting tired. Ooh, a lot of our guys are dying. And uh, can you imagine staying like this? The Bible says that he stood there all day long. Look at verse 12. Moses' arms soon became so tired he could no longer hold them up. So Aaron and Hur, his brother and his friend, found a stone for him to sit on. Then they stood on each side of Moses holding up his hands. So his hands held steady until sunset. In the end... God won. The people of Israel conquered that day. But it was not the kind of miracle Moses experienced. Instead of a microwave miracle, Moses learned that day that sometimes God works more like a crock pot. This slow, simmering process. But have you ever had a pot roast cooked in a crock pot? Oh, man, that just reminds me of home, doesn't it, you? 
Like, oh, it's good. The meat just falls apart in your mouth. Now, what happens if you put that pot roast in the microwave for 10 minutes? It's going to turn out like rubber if you're lucky or like a stone in all likelihood. It's just going to be nasty, and it's going to be like Christmas vacation. You remember in Christmas vacation with Chevy Chase when they're eating the turkey and everybody's choking? (coughs) Turkeys are not supposed to be crunchy, Um, but uh, uh, that that food didn't turn out so hot. What what Moses learned was that some of God's best miracles come through a slow process not an immediate process. A lot of times we think miracles means God does something amazing right now, immediately. But that's not always what a miracle is. Look at verse 13, Exodus 17, 13. As a result, Joshua overwhelmed the army of Amalek in battle. After the victory, the Lord instructed Moses, write this down on a scroll as a permanent reminder and read it aloud to Joshua. I will erase the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar there and named it Yahweh Nisi or Jehovah Nisi, which means the Lord is my banner. Moses started out that day looking at an earthly banner, a stick. But by the end of the day, he realized this is not my hope. This is not the thing that inspires me. This is not the thing that keeps me in the fight. It's the creator of this. It's God. God is my banner. So what banner have you been looking to? A minute ago I asked you to write down what is your fight? What is is it that you are struggling with and battling right now? Now write down what has been your banner? What have you been looking to? to keep you in the fight. Maybe for you, it is pictures of your family on your phone or in your wallet or hanging on the wall, or maybe for you, it's a a, a, a diagram that you've kept on your refrigerator about how much debt you have left to, to, to inspire you to keep on paying off that debt and to get your financial life worked out. Uh, maybe for you, it's a picture of a new house. If I could just stop renting and be able to buy the house that I want, that's my banner, that's my motivation, the thing I've been looking to. Maybe for you, it's success. It's, man, I want my resume to have this on it. Then I'm going to know I've arrived. What I want you to know today is this. Moses stick. Is dust. It's gone. If you could find it, you could sell it for a lot on eBay. But you're not going to find it because it decayed long ago. But the Lord remains. Jehovah Nisi, God, my banner, is still here. So let's talk about real life for just a moment. What does this mean for us today in December of 2018? What do you do when you want to give up? You remember this. Number one, write it down. Jehovah Nisi inspires you to never give up. God will be your inspiration if you look to him and you latch on to him and you hang on to him. Galatians 6, 9 says, so let's not allow ourselves to get fatigued doing good at the right time. We will harvest a good crop if we don't give up or quit. 
I've been in ministry for 28 years, um, and there are moments in time when I have wanted to quit, times when I wanted to give up. I'll never forget one of them uh, was after I had uh, planted a church in Santa Fe, New Mexico. My wife and I moved out to Santa Fe. She was seven months pregnant with our first child when we moved, and uh, we had this new baby in Santa Fe where we didn't know anybody. We started a church with uh, no core group at all. I mean, it was just crazy. We started cold turkey. It was, it was a really, really challenging job. And uh, we went out there and did this, and four years in Santa Fe was a long, hard battle. The church never really met my expectations or my hopes. It didn't get as big as I hoped it would. We constantly had financial struggles. Uh, there were times when it was like, is the church even going to be able to pay my paycheck? And when the church couldn't pay my paycheck, guess what I couldn't do? I couldn't pay my house payment. That was immensely stressful. Uh, Santa Fe was a, a, in particular was a town that is uh, very anti-Christian. Uh, and, and it's kind of strange. We would uh, do radio advertisements and mailers and all kinds of things to let people know in the community know that we were there. And we might get one or two people emailing us or calling us and saying, hey, we're excited about your church. We want to come check it out. And for each one of those calls that we would get or contacts that we would get, we would get five or ten other contacts where we're like, we don't want your blankety-blank church. We hate Christians. We can't believe that you're coming to our town. You're not welcome here. It was nuts. It was a very oppositional culture to Christianity. I've never been anywhere in the United States like it. And I grew up just 50 miles down the road in Albuquerque. And Albuquerque was nothing like Santa Fe. It was just totally bizarre, totally shocking. The people in the church, many of them were grouchy and grumpy all the time. They'd had a terrible experience at another church. And so they came to our church because it was new. Let's kick the tires. And um, uh, that's not a bad thing to switch churches and to look for a new church. People do it all the time. What's bad is when we bring our baggage with us and we refuse to let it go. And there were a lot of people in our church there that were just angry all the time because they'd been so hurt in other contexts. And it's hard to pastor people like that. It's really difficult to lead a church and to say, man, let's, let's uh, kick Satan's butt in Jesus' name, man. <laughs> let's, let's take some territory for God's kingdom here in Santa Fe. Let's do amazing things when the people are like, we can't do anything amazing. We are wounded. It was just really hard. And after four years of that, I'd been holding up the stick for a long time. I was tired. I was disillusioned. And my wife's mother in Oklahoma City was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer that had metastasized to her liver. And the diagnosis was she's not going to live. And Stacy said, can we move back home to take care of mom? I was hurt and frustrated and wounded and actually eager for an opportunity to leave. And this was a great chance for me to leave that church. I need to do this thing to help my wife, to honor my wife, to to support her and her family. She's supported me so much in ministry. This is my chance to say to her, I want to be a blessing to you and let's go take care of your mom. Now, I moved from Santa Fe to the buckle of the Bible belt, Oklahoma City. I thought to myself, if I could get a job anywhere as a pastor, it's going to be in Oklahoma City. And so we moved there without me having a job, thinking that I would find one pretty quick, and it didn't happen, and it didn't happen, and it didn't happen. And for 
several months, we were living with Stacy's family uh, in their home, and uh, it was frustrating. I was looking for a church, trying to find a place to work. But then I started to think, you know, ministry's been so hard. Maybe this is my chance to just walk away from it altogether. And so I thought, man, Lord, I'll sell insurance or I'll, I'll sell tomatoes. I'll sell anything. Just don't make me go back to a church. My arms were tired. I was ready to drop them. And my wife came alongside me and lifted up my arms. And she said, I'm not going to let you quit. God's called you to something. And I support you. Not long after that, he opened the door for me to work at an amazing church, have a great opportunity, one that was life-changing. But it took having to look to my banner to remain in the fight, to stay in there, and to realize that it was worth it. You see, what I learned in the middle of that is that God, Jehovah Nissi, my banner, had a purpose for my battle. And what battle you are in today, the battle you are facing, with, uh, facing today, that you are struggling with today, that you are, are ready to give up on maybe, God is saying to you right now, I have a purpose for your battle. Maybe you're ready to give up on that degree you've been working on for a long time. You're ready to, maybe you're ready to give up on a, a particular relationship or your family or, or that battle with your finances or for your weight loss or whatever it is that you're ready to throw the towel in on. Uh, I want to say to you today, push through the difficulty. Look to Jehovah Nisi, your banner. Let him inspire you to keep going. Second thing I want you to remember when you want to give up is not only that Jehovah Nisi will inspire you, but number two, write this down, Jehovah Nisi empowers you to victory. He gives you the power to win the battle. Where did the, the, the power for the Israelites come from during that batter, battle? It came from God. When the people were trusting in God, believing in God, they would win the battle. When they would get discouraged and start to lose their strength, they would lose the battle. Look to Jehovah Nisi. He will empower you to victory. Psalm 60, verses 1 and 4 says this. But you, God, have raised a banner for those who honor you, a rallying point in the face of attack. When I was looking at Santa Fe and struggling with whether or not to continue in ministry, I remembered a guy named Vince Moreno. Uh, Vince gave his life to Christ at our church, and Vince was a very average guy. And Vince was never going to be a, a Bible teacher or some guy that you would look to that's like, man, he's going to change the world. He was just a normal dude. But when Vince became a follower of Jesus, pretty soon half our church was named Moreno because all kinds of his family started coming to church with him and giving their lives to Christ. God did some amazing things in this guy's life. Uh, one of the best prayers I've ever heard was when Vince prayed, and he said, uh, I was in a small group with him, and I was asking everybody in the group, hey, tonight we're going to pray, and I'm going to ask you to do something a little bit uncomfortable. I'm going to ask everybody in the group to pray out loud, but all you got to do is say one sentence to God. It could be anything. God, thank you for tomato soup, you know, whatever. 
Um, and uh, uh, so it came Vince's turn. He had never prayed out loud. In fact, I don't know if he had actually prayed at all, except when he accepted Jesus. And, and, and th- this is what he said. He said, Lord, this is Vince Moreno. And, uh, you know, that may make you chuckle and go, oh, gosh, you know, maybe it makes you think he was an idiot. I hope not. Uh, what that said to me was, man, this guy was just so real and so raw that he didn't have all this church stuff. He wasn't like, dear Lord Jesus, this is Vince. I pray that thou might bless me today. You know, none of that churchy talk. He was just a normal person who fell madly in love with Jesus. And his family started coming to know Christ. He started sharing his faith with his friends at work. Even though he didn't know what to say to them, he'd still talk to them about his relationship with God. And when we left Santa Fe, it was really difficult to leave Vince and his family because God had changed them so much. In fact, just uh, several weeks after we got uh, to Oklahoma, he called me up and he said, Hey, Alan, I've been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And the doctors had given me 11 weeks left to live. He was 42 years old. 11 weeks later, to the day, Vince died. Left his wife and three amazing teenage girls behind. And I got to go back to Santa Fe and to preach at his funeral. And I was blown away when I walked in that building. Because there were more people at his funeral than had ever set foot in our church. And when I got to share the gospel that day and tell the story of Vince and how Jesus had changed his life, many of his friends and family came to know Christ at his funeral. What the Lord said to me in that was, yeah, Alan, I told you I had a purpose for your battle. And the battle's worth it. The battle is worth it. I could have given up. But the banner kept me in the fight. Maybe you're here today and you've been struggling to give up. You've been looking to that earthly banner and it's not been cutting it for you. Today, adjust your vision. Look up. Look to the banner, not to some earthly banner that's going to rot and decay and, and be gone one day. Look to Jehovah Nisi. I want you to write this down in your notes. God is, there's a blank there, put your name there. God is my banner. God is Alan's banner. God is Justin's banner. God is Sarah's banner. God is whatever your name is. Write it down there. God is your banner. Would you just say that with me? Say, God is my banner. Everybody together. God is my banner. God is my banner. You can overcome the battles in your life when you look 
to Jehovah Nisi. Why? Because God is my banner. If your marriage is too hard and you're ready to give up, I want you to stamp your foot on the ground and say, no, God is my banner. If your kids are driving you crazy and you're ready to throw in the towel on parenting altogether or family life or relationships or whatever, stop and say, God is my banner. If that addiction is too hard for you to overcome and you're ready to give up, say, God is my banner. The pain in your life is too much for you to bear. You can't stand it anymore. You know that you just want to throw in the towel. Stop and say, God is my banner. God is your banner. And that is enough. Let's pray. Thanks again for listening to the Invictus Church Podcast. Be sure to tune in every week for more new content. We'd like to invite you to join us in person for our weekend worship services. To get more information about our meeting times and location, please visit us online at www.invictus.church. If this or any of our episodes have inspired you to take steps in your relationship with Jesus, please let us know by sending us a note at info at invictus.church. We would love to hear how our message has helped change your life. Also, if our podcast has been meaningful for you and you'd like to give financially to our ministry, you can easily make your contribution online at www.invictus.church. Thanks one more time for listening. We hope you'll join us again next week.